Hey, everybody. Ben Fredrickson here for another episode of the I'm a Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm joined by Dave Matter from the Columbia Bureau here to talk Mizzou sports as we do every week here on the podcast. A little bit different twist this week. Um, we're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. Conzo uh, Martin's Missouri basketball team plays this evening and again on Saturday. Kind of what Dave and I figured we would do. Hold off on the basketball talk. Let's see where the Tigers are headed into the SEC tournament. We'll do a hoops podcast really extensively next week. And kind of as we wait for the pieces to, to settle a little bit, entering the conference tournament, we'll shift gears and talk a lot of football because, Dave, there's a lot of a lot of developments that have happened on the football side that we really haven't had too much of a time to talk about during kind of the bulk of, of hoop season. So we wanted to dive into some football here, spring practices up and running as Eli Drinkwitz prepares for his second season with the Tigers and kind of a, an all-football episode here with plenty of topics. Sound good to you, Dave? Sounds good. Let's. Uh, I think people could probably take a break from basketball for a while, the way the Tigers season is gone, and just focus on football. We'll see if they can finish uh, strong. We'll know a little bit more about that uh, um, here uh, here next week. Two big games, of course, to end conference play. But but talking football, I want to start with Sam Horn, Dave. This is a very interesting recruiting development for Eli Drink. It's a big recruiting win, and, and he has recruited well, but this is one of the more notable developments here. Sam Horn is probably, you know, if this commitment turns into a, a signing, and, and, and Missouri has done a good job keeping their commitments and turning them into actual additions, He's the, the highest ranked, uh, most uh, most highly touted in terms of recruiting rankings out of state quarterback. The Tigers have had really since we since we started paying attention to these wacky things called recruiting rankings. He's a two way player, wants yeah. to play baseball and football for the Tigers. A little Phil Bradley, Norm Stewart combo, you know, two way athlete. What do we make of this commitment, um, the player, but also what it says for what Drinkwitz is doing here on the recruiting trail? Yeah, I think you can kind of look at this at the the micro level and the macro level. I mean, it's, it's always good to get a quarterback, uh, a high caliber quarterback is great. Um, those guys go pretty quick, you know, as highly rated as he is. And I think he's like the sixth rated pocket passer. I think his checks around 73, 75 overall in, in the rivals ranking. So a top 100 guy, which is huge, but he's the fifth highest quarterback in the class who has committed to an SEC school. So that just shows you what you're going up against uh, in this league and how why it's so important to get a guy early, especially quarterback, because they go fast. There's only so many of them that are really good. And then two, they help you recruit receivers and running backs and tight ends because um, guys want to play with, with high-profile quarterbacks. So it's, it's really great to get a guy early. It's a huge statement to get an out-of-state, highly-touted quarterback, like you said, because it – it's, this is kind of uncharted territory for Missouri. You know, that you get Drew Locke, who is a four-star guy, not a top 100 recruit, but a four-star guy. He's, you know, over in the Kansas City area. His dad played for Mizzou. Grandpa played for Mizzou. So that wasn't a shock that they get a Drew Locke. Blaine Gabbert, back in, it was, what, 2008 when he signed with Missouri, a five-star quarterback. Um, he was the highest-rated quarterback Missouri's ever signed in the in the modern day of recruiting rankings but he's a st louis guy who uh you know grew up just a couple hours east of columbia uh, but to go get a guy in georgia who grew up a tennessee fan which sam horn did he's got all kinds of offers from sec and acc schools uh, no real obvious connection to missouri but he's the guy that drink targeted 
last spring and really was the number one guy on their on their list. Um, they made that pretty clear. Really, really impressive to be able to get a guy like that. Um, at fans freak out because, well, what, what does this mean for Connor Bazelak and Tyler Macon? Well, you know, that, those things work out. You'd, you'd rather have options than not have options. So this is a really, really pivotal commitment. Obviously, we're, we're, what, how many months away from signing day? About seven months away. But quarterbacks usually stick. You know, they usually stick with their commitment. You don't see a lot of jumping around like you might a wide receiver or a defensive back or somebody like that. So uh, big, big news for Missouri. And now we've already seen the dividends. You know, there's a, a running back from Georgia, uh, Cody Brown, who's a 2021 recruit, which means he'll be a freshman somewhere in the fall. He was signed to play at Tennessee, four-star guy from the state of Georgia. And now just just reading the cues on social media, Sam Horn's recruiting him to Missouri. So we'll see if if the Tigers can reel him in. I mean, that's that's what happens when you get one of these high-profile quarterbacks. These elite athletes, these elite recruits, even if they're not from the same area, a lot of them know each other because of these all-star games and these camps and recruiting visits. And I know we haven't had those since in the COVID era, but uh, there is a network that, that these kids are part of. So to tap into one of those players when he's not from your natural recruiting ground uh, can be just invaluable. That is kind of the new way to, to stir the pot in a good way in recruiting. We talk a lot about bowl games. You know, that's the old thing about, well, you know, getting a bowl game in that market might help recruiting. Mm. I really don't think these kids are sitting around watching bowl games uh, and going, oh, maybe I should play for that school. But they are talking about where they want to play at these seven-on-seven camps and at these combine workouts where they try to impress talent evaluators and recruiters. And and the fact that you've got a a top quarterback kind of uh, saying early on, hey, I'm going to Missouri and who's coming with me? That gives Missouri a a presence in that conversation. And I totally agree with you about the – that, you know, folks sweating the depth chart, the best programs, they just keep recruiting players. If guys don't like the way the depth chart is looking and they end up dropping their commitment or transferring out, they just re- recruit again. I mean, that's that's happens at, at, at the best programs. I mean, Alabama has four and five star players stacked up on the roster and there's no crying when, when one guy decides to leave because another one's on his way. I'm not comparing Eli Drinkwitz to Nick Saban, but you cannot keep guys um, around if they if they don't like the competition. All you can do is recruit guys who feel like they can come in and, and win the spot. Now, Missouri's quarterback room is going to look really interesting in, in years to come. And, and you got to remember, Connor Bazelak is not exactly uh, done. He had, a, he had a year last, last year, didn't count toward his eligibility at all. So he will be the, um, of course, the, you know, the presumptive starter entering next season, but it could be interesting next year. It could be interesting in years to come based off of based off of this commitment, it sure seems like Eli Drinkwitz, especially um, because of his offense, because of his ability to coach QBs, he is the Tigers quarterback coach. It seems like he's already establishing a rep for, you know, a a coach that some of these young talented quarterbacks are are interested in playing for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and don't forget to another name. And I wrote about this a little bit last night. Uh, Brady Cook was, was Mizzou's number two quarterback when the season ended last year. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's the number two quarterback this fall. Just watching him in a couple spring practices, the little bit that he played last year, um, I, I think he can hold his own. I don't know if Tyler Macon's ready to make that jump yet and really push Connor for for the job or even push Brady for the job. So just kind of watching this very small sample size, uh, I think they're in really good shape with that room right now. And you had a guy like Sam Horn. And guess what? They're going to recruit somebody after Sam Horn and try to bring somebody in in the in the classes down the road too that's you have to do that i mean 
you mentioned Alabama. Mac Jones was at one point the third stringer at Alabama behind Jalen Hurts and, and Tua. So um, that's what the best programs do. If somebody leaves, they leave. We've seen it at Ohio State. You know, they lose a guy to LSU who goes on and wins the Heisman Trophy. Georgia loses Justin Fields, who goes to Ohio State and, and takes the Buckeyes to the brink of the national championship. So um, this happens at, at the best programs. You'd much rather have this situation than like Missouri was a couple years ago when you lose Drew Locke and then it's like, uh-oh, what do we do? We don't have anybody. We've got to dip into the transfer market. They were fortunate to get a Kelly Bryant, but it didn't really work out. They didn't really develop him. He was one year and out. Uh, and then they had to start from scratch. So this is a, it's a really good situation to be in right now. We, we talked out of state recruiting, and this is a big example of a win there with, with Sam Horn, but things are going pretty well for Drinkwitz in state too. I mean, there's so much of uh, an annual conversation about how the Missouri football team is recruiting St. Louis. Sometimes it's a bit overdone. I know that I've probably participated in that conversation before, but you know, we've seen it. We've seen how bad it can hurt this team when it a cannot get players out of St. Louis, the best players, or B, you know, gets players out of St. Louis that, that don't end up panning out. And, and there's, there's no such thing as a, as a sure thing ever, but it does seem like Missouri at its best has had players from the St. Louis area that are making impacts. And certainly Missouri at its best is getting the best players in the state of Missouri or, you know, East St. Louis to, to consider going to Mizzou. Um, and, and it seems like Drinkwitz is off to a really strong um, I, I would say start. I mean, he's still pretty, pretty new on the job here. Um, you know, you mentioned Mookie Cooper, the, the St. Louis, the St. Louis product who is transferring in from, from Ohio state. You know, you mentioned Dominic Lovett, Tyler Macon. I mean, there are guys from this area that are, I think viewing, viewing Missouri in a little bit different way still after one season, which was albeit an all sec season, a five and five season, um, which it, it was a, I think a really, really, you know, encouraging start for Drinkus, but it's not like they went out and won the, the SEC East. What has he done and what is he doing to, you know, make Missouri a more relevant player here in St. Louis? Well, I think he's, for one, he's recruiting the right guys. You know, there were, I, I think a little history lesson here and not even that far back, you know, Barry Odom, he got criticized early on because he was missing out on the best players in St. Louis and then it seems like, well, they just kind of stopped recruiting, trying really hard to get those players in St. Louis because, you know, you, you can spend all that time on them and you still, if, if you don't have a great sales pitch or a great vision, you're just not going to, you're not going to beat out Ohio State or Notre Dame when they come in for those guys. So then they kind of hit a lull and then the, the roller coaster went the other direction. They got all these commitments from St. Louis. But they weren't really getting guys uh, that were in high demand. Uh you know, they got a couple of receivers, C.J. Boone, Maurice Massey. They've since moved on. Jack Buford was a guy that had some good offers, since moved on. So they weren't getting the right guys that fit, you know, and really could grab a role at the program. Um, and especially, you know, when you go undergo a coaching change, those guys just weren't a good fit with Drinkwitz, and they've moved on. Um, but now he's going out and getting guys in that St. Louis area that he wants, that he really sees that can fit in. And – you know, I think they can be impact players. Love it uh, was the first newcomer to earn his jersey number in practice this week. All it took was two practices, and he's out there wearing number seven now. And that's a big statement. I mean, there, there were guys last year. This is this is Drinkwitz's policy for fans that maybe missed that when we wrote about it last year. Newcomers, whether you're a transfer or a freshman, you don't get to wear a number in practice until you've done enough to impress your position coach and the coordinator 
that you deserve that uh, that number. Now, I, I don't know exactly that, that standard, whatever it is, they don't really spell it out, but it's a pretty high standard. It's not just, hey, catching a touchdown pass in a scrimmage. Uh, and, and some guys last year, some of the newcomers, they didn't get their number until the season started. Uh, after all of the summer and preseason camp and all of that. Lovett got it on day two. So that tells you something. Uh, just watching him in, in drills the other day, uh, he, he's not the biggest guy at all. They list him at like 5'10 or so, but he, he looks like a college receiver. He just kind of carries himself in that way, gets up and down the field, caught the ball pretty cleanly. So I think he's a guy that can fit in. Mookie Cooper is a little bit different kind of receiver, uh, more of a slot guy. Uh, a guy that you can hand the ball off to on jet sweeps and end arounds and those things. Uh, he, he is, they're both listed five ten, but Cooper definitely looks smaller, um, but it's just kind of the way he, he carries himself. His body is, is uh, his, his, just his, uh, what am I looking for? Just his composition, Build. a little bit different, yeah. Build, a little stockier. Um, but he's a guy that, now these guys are biased, but Arnold Britt, former Missouri receiver who is kind of like his godfather in St. Louis. And then Will Franklin, who's known him since he was a little kid, former Missouri receiver. They have both told me in recent months, this guy can be to this offense, what Jeremy Macklin was to their offense. They both played with Jeremy Macklin. Um, that's a really high standard to meet because Jeremy was one of the best ever to play for Missouri uh, on either side of the ball at any position, but he's that kind of weapon that you can give him the ball in space and he'll make plays. So, Really curious to see, you know, what he adds to this offense once uh, once they get out there. I mean, somebody asked Eli, what, what was your first impression of him the first day? And it's grand. It's the first day. They weren't even in full pads, but he said he's fast. I mean, you can see the speed. And that's something this offense really didn't have from the playmakers last year. Maybe it means he can return punts and kicks. That would be yeah, a uh, – someone who could catch punts would be a good upgrade yeah. for, for Missouri in, in Drinkwitz's second season. Let's look at the defense here. We're obviously trying to get a feel for – what this Steve Wilkes defense will look like. Um, there's some young players who could make an impact here. There's a little more depth on that defensive line. Um, you're going to get a chance to kind of feel this out. What, what do you make of, of the defense so far? Um, where do you think Wilkes is going to take this thing? It's interesting because they kind of, and I think I wrote, they kind of took a wrecking ball to the staff. Uh, they brought in a new coordinator, new defensive line coach, new defensive backs coach. Um, the scheme's going to be a little bit different. He's calling it a four-two-five, which is what the base scheme had been in the past. But I don't think you're going to see as many of those those three-man defensive lines. Uh, right now, they're playing with three safeties and two corners out there. I think that they, they can add some more variety there. I mean, Eli has made it clear he wants more of a variety of the coverages. He thought they were a little predictable last year and how they attacked offenses, and you can really see that down the stretch when they struggled and kind of teams had their way with them. Um, but there's a lot of returning talent on this team. They have 12 players on defense coming back who played 200 snaps or more last year. You lose Nick Bolton, obviously a great player is going to be a first or second round draft pick. You lose those two safeties who played a lot. Um, but there's some, there's some good pieces coming back. I mean, they've got six D linemen who played 200 or more snaps last year. And a bunch of those are those seniors that decide to come back for another year. Uh, you've got this infusion of newcomers uh, on the D line, including a couple of junior college transfers. Um, you got Martez Manuel, who I think can be an all SEC safety. I was, I was so impressed with what he did last year. Uh, he's, he's a heady guy. I think he can be the leader of this defense as just a junior. Um, or I think he's probably a redshirt sophomore the way they list him. So there are some pieces there for sure, but, but Steve Wilkes has to get more out of it. He's got, he's got to get more out of this defense than Ryan Walters did last year when 
they had some good pieces, but it was supposed to be the backbone of this team while the offense came together and it never really was. And they just gave up a ton of yards. They weren't disruptive at all. Didn't get many sacks, didn't get many interceptions. Um, you're going to give up yards in today's college game, especially in the SEC, but you've got to make a difference and you've got to make game-changing plays. And we'll see if if Steve Wilkes is the guy that can tap that out. He does. He brings a lot of energy in practice. I mean, he is all over the place. He's, he's I think, 51 years old, but runs around like a 31-year-old. And he's he is coaching the cornerbacks uh, himself. He really wanted to get back to coaching a group, which he hasn't been able to do in a long time. Um, and, the, and the guys that we've talked to so far really, really seem enthused. I mean, they – some of them, I think, were shell-shocked by the change because they weren't expecting change in the coaching staff. But I think the more veteran guys, like Martez Manuel, said, hey, this is football today. You know, there's going to be coaching changes. If, and he made a great point the other day. He said, if we expect to go to the next level in the NFL, this happens every year on your NFL staff. You just have to roll with the changes. And he's like, you have to learn how to be un- uncomfortable because that's what, you, you, that's what it is. Um, there's going to be change all the time. So – it, the quicker they adapt, you know, the better this defense can be. Where's the pressure going to come from? I mean, who are the guys who are going to be getting those quarterback hurries, those quarterback yeah. sacks? Because I think that was the biggest thing, um, you know, that became most notable as last season played out. There was just no, there was no, there was no urgency in the opposing quarterback. I mean, they, right. they were not scared of getting hit. They were not scared of dropping back. They're not scared of going through their progressions because it just felt like there, there wasn't going to be a, a, a big blow coming off the backside. There wasn't going to be a, a sack if they, if they held on to the ball too long. And then if they did have to run, they could, they could yeah. more or less do that without, without risking, a, without risking a, a big hit. Where, where's that going to come from? Who are they going to be the guys who change that as Missouri tries to get back to having a little bit more of a disruptive defensive line? Yeah. I'll, I'll really be interested to see what Trey John Jeffcoat can do with a full off season. He's not practicing right now. He's, he's they say he's day to day with some kind of injury, but he was an all sec defensive end last year. I think he tied for second in the league in sacks. And remember, he didn't have any kind of offseason or preseason. He, he very quietly rejoined the program after re-enrolling at Missouri, and they just kind of threw him out there. So he's somebody you can build around up front. You know, they've got a couple of these uh, newcomers. Travion Ford, the uh, you know four-star pass rusher from, from Lutheran North, he's on campus now. Um, they'll have to kind of figure out a role for him because you've got all these veteran defensive ends and defensive tackles that have come back for another year. Guys like Akil Byers and uh, Markel Etsy, Kobe Whiteside, Chris Turner, guys that have been around forever at Missouri. Um, they're probably going to have to take reduced roles to some degree because they, they want their strength to be numbers, just to have a whole bunch of guys you can rotate. And then if you have different makers on the edge who can really rush the passer, you know, there's a premium for that. I'll, he's not out there right now. Remember the Rice transfer, Blaze Aldridge. He's still finishing up his semester at Rice, but he'll join the mix at linebacker um, this summer. And he's a guy that had, you know, I think he had 20-something tackles for loss two years ago at Rice. So it'll be interesting to see how they can work him in and how, how he fits into this scheme too. You think Drinkwitz is going to be a player, continued player in the grad transfer market as the he looks to fill up holes with the team? He's had success with that. Um yeah. He's had success with that at times. Is that going to be something that was more of kind of a, a backfill when he was trying to do roster rehab? Or do you think that's going to be kind of a continued theme in his in his time at Mizzou? I think the smart coaches, and he's one of them, you don't rely on it, but you have to keep a couple spots open because you just – you don't know. You have no idea if the starting center from Rutgers is going to become available in March. And that's what happened last year, April, whenever it was, when Mike Maietti, um 
you know, just went into the portal. Missouri didn't know a whole lot about him at all. Ends up playing pretty much every snap of the season and then coming back for another senior year. So the yeah. portal, it's so unpredictable. Uh, they, they essentially have a wish list of, okay, here's what, here's what we want, you know, addressing some holes, whether that's a safety, a running back, an offensive tackle. And if one of those position groups, if, if somebody enters the portal at one of those groups, well, we'll, we'll pounce on that. Otherwise, you know, if it's just the best available, hey, don't need a linebacker, but this linebacker's out there. This guy was a stud at Virginia Tech or wherever. Maybe it's worth exploring. So I think this, the smart coaches just are going to monitor that thing every day and always be aware of, of whatever jumps in there and then try to find any connection you can, um, you know, to, to that player that's on your staff or in your program or whatever it may be. And you're right, they have done a pretty good job of that. It's, it can be hit or miss. Barry Odom was kind of hit or miss. He had some guys early on that um, came with some hype that really just didn't acclimate into the program and really didn't do much. Um, and, you know, the Kelly Bryan experiment just didn't work out great. Um, but, you know, so far, I think, you know, Drinkwitz has been able to hit on some guys. Kiki Chisholm was a good example of a guy who has been a productive player as their leading receiver last year. Damon Hazleton didn't work out great, um, but he had some moments. You know, the, the punter from Kentucky, Grant McInnes, ended up being pretty solid and coming back, another guy coming back for an extra year. And we mentioned Mike Maietti. So, yeah, I, I think it can it can really be an asset for you. I, but you can't rely on it. You can't just say, oh, we'll just find somebody in the portal because that's – then you're just – you. if you do that, then chances are <laughs> that guy just won't show up, whoever you think you need. You mentioned Drinkwitz kind of being, being smart about how he's using this – this time, whether it's transfers or, 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 or in recruiting, how about how he's using these spring practices, Dave? Now this, this is interesting. He only had two spring practices last season. It was really, we thought, you know, put him at a disadvantage because he's trying to get used to this team, this roster. He gets two spring practices in the books, pandemic curtain drops, and then it's, Hey, get ready for the season without spring. But this is interesting. He's really leaning into spring, taking advantage of it. And also kind of finding a little workaround here with some of the recruiting limitations that are placed on, on teams during the pandemic by opening practices up to the public. Explain, explain his thinking here um, and also, you know, the fact that this is good news. People are being able to go to watch practice, which kind of bodes well for maybe, you know, folks being able to go to watch games this fall, a bigger crowd at Memorial Stadium. Clearly, they're, they're interested in selling tickets as they try to figure out how many folks they can have. But it seems like we, uh, we're going to be covering football games in front of a lot bigger crowds this fall than we were last year. Yeah. Yeah. That's the hope. And I, this is really smart on his part for one. And I appreciate this. They're really condensing spring football at Missouri this year, more so than ever before. It's only four weeks long. They're not stretching it out and sandwiching spring around spring break at the university. That's what Gary Pinkle would do. That's what Barry Odom did. So it ends up being like a six, seven week process. He's doing it all in four weeks. Spring break will come after um, the spring game, and then, you know, they can shift into off-season mode. He's actually – they're actually going to have some practices after the spring game. So that's – I think that kind of fits into, you know, how they can get the spring game televised on SEC Network because, of course, everything's, uh, you know, on TV now these days. But he's opening up a couple practices, including this coming Saturday's practice, open to the public, free to attend. It's not like you got to buy a ticket. Now, I think you do have assigned seating for distancing purposes. Um, but I think there's a – there's a couple real reasons behind this for one, just good for the publicity. It's not like they're going to, you know, have any state secrets out there on the field that someone's going to go take to the internet and give to central Michigan or whoever they play first. I think it is central Michigan Two, it's good PR, good publicity and good for 
Uh, they're going to have people out there showing off some of the sections that they can buy for season ticket um, uh, in the suites and in some of the other areas that they have. So they can hope they're going to hoping to sell some tickets. And then three, which really might be the number one reason, and this is something that Eli can't really say out loud, with without having official visits through the NCAA dead period, they can't get recruits on campus uh, to see the facilities. But if you open up your practices to the public, well, your recruits can maybe just happen to come with their families that day to come check out the football stadium and see what a practice is like. Now, there's rules that will govern exactly what kind of communications can take place or all that stuff. But if you do want your recruits on, on your facility and in front of a live event, this is a way to kind of get around the rules and it's smart. And I, I think it's a, uh, so many of these sec coaches and really coaches around the country, they treat these spring practices like, you know, they're sharing, like I said, state secrets and it's the most, cloak and dagger mission on campus. But I think he's smart and realizes, hey, these are just practices. Um, if you can sell this to your fans, especially the fans who didn't really get to enjoy the program in person last year, open this thing up. And, and to his credit, he is. And also he's opening up a lot more to the media too, which is you know appreciated by me. Get a chance to get to know the team a little bit better, get a chance to uh, say, hey, we can't help who shows up. It's open yeah. to the public. Yeah. If a recruit happens to uh, find out when it is, that's uh, Good intuition on that young man's part, right? I think it's a, I think it's a good way of finding the advantage in a, in a not ideal situation. And and I'm with you. I, I I appreciate coaches who let us watch a little bit and get a better feel for the team. This is uh this is going to be this upcoming Saturday for folks who want to get a chance to check it out. And uh, you know it, it's hopefully a sign of of uh, you know a more normal sports experience this upcoming year, man. I mean the Cardinals have said, look. They hope, best case scenario, they might have fans at Bush Stadium without restrictions after the All-Star right. game, which, you know, maybe that's unrealistic, but I, I hope it's not. I hope I hope that can happen. I hope everybody's vaccinated and we're and we're back to some sense of real normalcy. So college football is not college football without tailgates and 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 all that good stuff. So anything closer to that will be better than kind of the awkwardness we got through uh, everybody did this last season. So looking forward to that. Glad to see some people getting able to see some Tigers football and we'll keep it covered all at stltoday.com and in the pages of the post-dispatch as this, you know, interesting time, but football and basketball kind of coinciding. As I said earlier, we'll know a lot more about the way this basketball season is headed by the time we talk next day, entering the SEC tournament as the Tigers. I think they're in decent shape to make the NCAA tournament, but if, if they don't get some better play from some players, including Xavier Pinson, they're not going to be in any tournament very long. We'll see if they can snap out of uh, snap out of a slide here, and we'll have maybe some more more interesting news basketball wise to talk about next week. You got a game to cover, Dave? I'll let you run. Anything else before we go? That's about it. Um, we'll, we'll have a big story in Saturday's paper to preview the final home game, but also it's more leaning towards Jeremiah Tillman, kind of looking back at his career. They're going to honor the five seniors who. You know, we don't really officially know which ones are going to come back, if any, and I'm not sure any will. But it will be a, a good chance to the guy who's been on the program long in the program longer than anyone is, is Jeremiah Tillman, who's had such a nice senior year. So we'll uh, we'll write a little bit about him. He's grown up a lot during his time at Mizzou. Looking forward to reading that, Dave. And keep up the good work, and we'll chat next week. I'll be in uh, Florida for spring Cardinal spring training, but we'll keep the uh, podcast rolling. So. 
keep an eye out for that, everybody. Thanks to everybody who subscribes. And if you're new to the podcast, you can find them all at stltoday.com slash podcast or wherever you find your podcast. Just search for Eye on the Tigers podcast. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week, and we'll talk to you soon.